Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational Church, where we believe faith is a journey, God is good, Jesus saves, and the Spirit leads us toward faith, hope, and love as we honor the dignity of all God's children. Whether you're joining us virtually uh, via our live stream or you are here in the sanctuary, it's wonderful to be together. For those of you sitting in the pew, if you would find the friendship register, please, and pass that along, we'd love to know who's worshiping with us this morning. This summer, we're enjoying our Voices and Vision speaker series, and today we're welcoming back Kent Dobson. (laughs) We're thrilled that Kent is here. He's going to continue with the study of Revelation. I know many of you are very eager to hear uh, the word he's going to bring this morning. Um, Well, Julia had some challenges picking today's music because Kent's sermon title is Paradox and Divine Visions. So tell us a little word about today's music. We welcome Dr. Julia Brown. Today I want to highlight uh, the offertory solo, which is an old Irish blessing. These are words that may be familiar to all of you. There are many, many beautiful musical settings of this text. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. Um, We don't quite know the origin of this prayer, but it is a translation. And in that translation, it's a poetic translation. So um, some of the, it's not a direct Meaning, so what does it mean, the road, may the road rise to meet you? Uh, The original is closer to may your journey be successful or may the road succeed with you. And in these words, there are several images of nature, wind and rain and sun. And these all have symbolic meaning. So the wind probably represents the spirit of God. The sun represents the mercy of God and the rain, God's sustenance. He provides for us. And all of these coming together uh, paint a picture of God holding us in the palm of God's hands, which is how this blessing ends. Thank you, Julia. Last Wednesday, the front lawn of the church was festooned with an enormous water slide. We had a wonderful water slide Wednesday, just so many wet kids enjoying the front lawn of the church. It was just wonderful. So Rachel Cooley has lots of events coming up for uh, families and for all of you, so please check our website and the news emails to get all caught up on that. And last Sunday, we had the privilege, if you were here um, with us, you heard from Kevin and Susan Fry. They were in the atrium with their display. They work with Eden Ministries in Doma, Zimbabwe. We had a phenomenal time with them this week. And there was a clothing drive continuing to up to Wednesday, right, Linda and Rachel? So if you have um, gently used, lovely things you would like to donate to the ministry in Zimbabwe, you can do that in bins outside the portico up until Wednesday. Um, And as many of you are aware, Mayflower has a prayer list. kind of looks like this, and it's sent out every week. If you are not receiving that and you would like to pray for the members of our congregation and their loved ones who are suffering, please let the church know. We'd be happy to put you on that list. And on that note, Eric Bridger and his daughter Dina are with us this morning, and Dorothy is in her last probably hours, we're not sure. Um, So please hold them in your prayers this week. There will be a funeral upcoming, but we will wait to make that announcement. Feel free to call the church if you have any questions. Um, But Eric and Dina, thank you for being with us. We love you, and we're praying for you. So let us begin our time of worship with a call to worship which is from Psalm 145. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to all people your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. 
Come, let us worship the God of glorious splendor. Please join me for our opening prayer. You will find the responses in your bulletin. Holy One, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. You, O Lord, uphold all who are falling. You raise up all who are bowed down. May our eyes look to you. May we mirror your justice and kindness. We call on you today and seek your truth. Amen.
Today's first reading is from the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6a. After this, I looked, and there in heaven a door stood open, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit. And there in heaven stood a throne, with one seated on the throne. And the one seated there looks like jasper and carnelian. And around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Around the throne are twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones are twenty-four elders, dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads." Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne there is something like a sea of glass, like crystal. Today's second reading is from the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw, in the right hand of the one seated on the throne, a scroll written on the inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The word of the Lord.
morning, everybody. It's good to be back here and uh, to see some faces that I saw a couple weeks ago. <laughs> uh, always a good sign. Um, the, you know, uh, when Ruth asked me to, to speak this summer and she told me sort of the vision and voices kind of theme, for some reason I couldn't get revelation out of my head. I just thought, if we're going to talk about visions and voices, might as well talk about revelation, which is not a very popular thing to talk about, to tell you the truth. So uh, if you make it, I'm going to do, I'm coming back in another month. So uh, if you're still here, that'll be good news for me. Um, But I think we will have just scratched the surface of this very strange uh, and evocative an interesting book. And if it scares you a little bit, if you're honest, that's that's a good thing. I think it probably scared the author. And it certainly frightened the people who first read it. And part of what I mean by frightened is also they were in awe of such a thing. Like, what is this? What are you supposed to say about this? In fact, Luther, I mean, one reason why all of you are in this kind of church in part, is because of Luther. I don't know if you know this or not, but he didn't want it in the canon. So he didn't want to deal with the book of Revelation. And for, for obvious reasons, it's intense, it's strange, it's relatively dark, uh, and it can be easily misunderstood. It can be taken uh, very literally, for one thing. It could be taken into whatever context you want to take it into. That's one of the issues with symbolic language like this. It it stirs the pot, but it doesn't take all the time needed to carefully explain it. That's one reason why we can still stand here, I don't know, 2,000 years later and and still wonder, what is this thing? What does it have uh, for the, the contemporary church, the contemporary situation we find ourselves in. So my main point right now is we're scratching the surface here of this book. Um, One of the things I tried to say last time, whether or not I did a good job, (laughs) I don't know. Um, I tried to say something like this. How do we come to know anything at all? It's an epistemological question. How do we come to know? And primarily in the West, we think we come to know by thinking. We come to know something by thought. And, of course, there are other windows of knowing. There's thinking and feeling and sensing. And one forgotten one, for uh, many people, is imagination. And imagination is the wellspring of things like revelation. It's, it's where does this stuff come from? It wells up from a deep source, which we call imagination. And if you have kids or grandkids you know they have such a thing. I mean, you don't stop them in the middle of play and say, now carefully explain to me, who is it that you're speaking to right now? And what's the point of doing this? It just happens very naturally. It's part of of just being a human being. And it's also a way of, of coming to know the world. And the world of imagination is filled with symbols and metaphor and images. And that's the terrain that the book of Revelation is roaming around in the world of of imagination. And just one more word on the symbolic and why we need it. Symbol is what we use when we have a hard time expressing the fullness of something. It's why why we're listening to music this morning. It, it too speaks in a kind of symbolic language that, that can never come close to the fullness of what it is that we want to express. In, in other words, it brings up a kind of longing for something. It doesn't explain. You don't get to the end of a classical piece and say, now, now everything makes sense. You feel the truth of it, but it's still an attempt at something, an attempt at the transcendent, what is beyond our capacity to comprehend. And that's the world of symbols. So it's just important to to remind ourselves that. When we look at the book of Revelation, when we heard the reading this morning, it's like, hmm, it's trying to express something that is inexpressible. So that was 
at least part of what I wanted to say last time, um, just as a sort of intro thing. Um, so I'm going to read to you a, a quotation from Carl Jung, because <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do whenever you talk about Revelation. Um, all right, so here's a quotation from Jung. The decisive question for man is, is he related to something infinite or not? Now, you have to forgive the dated language here, but let's hear it again. The decisive question for man, for humankind, for human beings is, are we related to something infinite or not? Are we related to something infinite or not? According to Jung, this is the decisive question. Let me just finish the quote here. That's a telling, that is the telling question of his life. Only if we know that the thing which truly matters is the infinite can we avoid fixing our interests upon faculties and upon all kinds of goals and futilities which are not of real importance. So, I'll just paraphrase. Unless we have a relationship with the infinite, we're bound to get caught up in all kinds of futilities that don't make any difference. He says that's a fundamental question of human existence. And I want to go ahead and make a point here. The book of Revelation is trying to confront us with the infinite. And the infinite in its fullness is a little frightening. I know we just read, you know, from Revelation chapter 4 and like, oh, there's a throne and there's and there, there are elders around the throne. And what are we supposed to do with that? Like, oh, how lovely. It's not supposed to be lovely. It's rumbling and peals of thunder and people falling down on the ground and people weeping. That's a confrontation with the infinite. Imagine if you had this vision. Imagine if you went to sleep at night and woke up and this was your dream. What would you do with such a thing? It's a confrontation. It's a confrontation with what is the world? What is the universe? What is the infinite? What is the transcendence? What is God? And it's disruptive. And, it, and it, I think a passage like this is meant to align us or put us in conversation with the question that Jung is pointing out here. Are you related to the infinite or not? If you're not related to the infinite, then I guess you'll be mixed up with all kinds of futilities and, you know, what, what's, your, what's going to be your ordering, meaning-making system at that point? So, listening to the organ, looking at a piece of art, for some reason I just uh, imagine there's a Salvador Dali piece of Christ on the cross. You should look it up. Not right now, in case you have your phone, but later on. Salvador Dali, a picture of him on the cross. It was purchased by a Scottish church. And for, for a kind of an outrageous price, but in today's standards, it seemed like, seemed like a lot for the, the church to spend. The church is like, why are we wasting money on this weirdo artist, you know? Well, now this single piece is the single attraction of this church in Scotland. People make pilgrimage just to see this piece. Why? Because it's dabbling in the same kind of stuff, in the symbolic, in the evocative. It's challenging. It confronts us. It helps us ask the question, are we related to the infinite or not? Are we related to the infinite or not? So, that's my question for this morning. I forgot to look and see what time I started and what time I'm supposed to end. So I'm just going to say I've gone for five minutes. Um, I don't know. Because it's an infinite. Uh, time is meaningless on one level. So, uh, I want to read to you something. Because there are lots, lots of layers going on with Revelation besides the symbolic. There's some contextual things going on with Rome. I'm just going to read you a little section from chapter 18. And I want you to hear, try to, try to listen for uh, what kind of worldview the Roman Empire holds here. What do they value, in other words? Just listen to this list. By the way, this is a personal moment here. I taught here about a month ago. And then I went to Yellowstone for a few weeks and came back. And now I need glasses. I don't know what happened. Like, how did that happen? I looked down and I was like, oh, I can barely read this. Okay, so I'm going to try. Here we go. 
Woe, O great city. Woe to you, O great city. O Babylon, which is a reference to Rome, most likely here. City of power. In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and horses and carriages and bodies and souls of human beings. Do you recognize this world at all? Its value system. I know it's poking at Rome here, but you don't have to look around very far when you ask the question, what kind of world, what kind of value, what kind of, what kind of system values just these things? There's a, um, there's a, uh, a famous um, psychologist named James Hillman, and he says, there is such a thing as monotheism, it's, and that one God is the economy. You know, he says that sort of tongue-in-cheek. But do you hear that the value system is around goods. And I'm not, you know, here to preach against goods. I mean, there's a reason why there's buying and exchanging and, you know, I'm not, I'm not critiquing all of society. I'm just saying, what is the value system here and what does it have to do with the infinite? That's the question of the book of Revelation. Okay, you have this whole system, cinnamon and gold and silver, and it even says human beings are valued on the same level. The bodies and souls of human beings, that's a reference to slaves. Buying and selling human beings like you would sell wood and silver and gold and pearls. And the book of Revelation is shaking that and saying, what does that world have to do with the infinite or with the divine or with God or with the transcendent? And what might have to change if confronted by such a heavenly vision where the sky is torn open and there's a throne and there's a heavenly council of sorts, what might have to change? So I think um, that's part of what John is getting at here. The other thing I want to point out here, and maybe I'll just make it as brief as I can. In Revelation chapter 4, which we read from earlier, John looks up, he's caught up in the spirit, he's having a visionary experience, and he sees a throne. Now, thrones, I'm just going to tell you, are for judgment. I know we, we, we're more used to England, like the throne is where the authority sits. Thrones in the ancient world are places of judgment. So, again, you're supposed to be a little frightened. There's a being, and by the way, What's interesting about the book of Revelation here is that he doesn't call the being God. Look for yourself. It doesn't say, and God is on the throne. It says, I saw one on the throne. He even leaves that mysterious. A being that's hard to describe is on a throne of judgment. It's not all that surprising, though. Like, contextually speaking, it's not all that surprising that there's a being on the throne and it's divine and there are 24 elders around. It's like the, it's like the Roman pantheon. There are 24 gods in the Roman pantheon. It's not that unusual of an image, even though it's a bit strange. Revelation chapter 5, though, that's where things get interesting. Because it says, I'll read it to you. Just after there's weeping, that there's no one, no one can open this weird scroll, um... Weird is my interpretation. This strange scroll. Notice what it says here. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. And here's where things are a bit unusual. So the, the curtain is peeled back in this visionary experience. There's something of the divine being shown. The divine is on the throne. And there's a lamb that looks like, if it, looks like it's been slain. Now, that is a strange image. What do you do with such a thing? 
And only this slain lamb, which seems to be a reference to Jesus here, although again, the symbolic language, he doesn't say, I saw Jesus. It just says, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. So right, this is why I called today's message paradox. What did I call it? Paradox and something. Paradox and divine visions. Okay, I'll come to the word paradox in a second. Because there's something paradoxical about this. How can there be a being that is both alive and looks as if it had been slain? How does that make sense? What kind of vision of God is that? Can God die? I mean, that's the kind of question that John is asking here. And if the Roman Empire is the one that's responsible for the killing of the lamb, how is it at the center of the throne of judgment? And now you start to, if you're Roman, start to get chills here, honestly. If people start to connect the symbolic dots, wait a minute, something of this figure that the Roman Empire put to death, is sitting in the center of a throne of judgment. That's not good news for you if you're a Roman. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And there's something paradoxical about the vision of God here. It's paradoxical. A paradox just means to cast alongside, like this thing cast alongside this thing. Dox comes from where we get words like orthodox, which means straight, like you go to the orthodontist to get your teeth straightened. Uh, unless you're British, you don't worry about it. Um, but it means straight. And, and so it's casting two things alongside one another and asking, which is the straight one? And the answer is something like, yes. So, and, and Revelation 4 and 5 is a paradox. There's a something slain and something living all in the same vision of the divine. So, What's my point? I will, I will conclude here. My point is, we need books like Revelation to keep us humble when it comes to what do we mean when we say the word God? What do we mean? What do any of us mean when we say the word God? I believe in God. Okay. What does that mean? What does that look like? What is it? What, what is it like to be confronted by a reality that you can't explain? One of my favorite authors, James Finley, he studied with Thomas Merton, um, if you've heard of him, in, in the monastery. So James Finley says, no idea of God is God. And everyone in seminary is just like, oh no, we're out of a job here. Because part of seminary is explaining all the ideas around God. It's just a reminder. No idea of God is God. No idea of God is God. That's why we need symbol, image, art to lead us to the doorstep of the transcendent. Okay, so you know something of the divine. But it's important to stand on the edge of the threshold toward the unknown. And that's what Revelation, I think, is shaking Shaking us up with. No idea of God is God. No image of God is sufficient of God. And at the very center of the universe, of the thing that we call God, there's a paradox. That's hard to explain. So that's kind of where I want to leave things uh, today. I will be back, and I'll make it all make sense. I'll close all the, I'll wrap it all up. You know. I want to talk about the end of the book of Revelation when I come back, where there's a tree. I'm going to skip all the, you're going to say, oh, he's going to skip all the really weird stuff right in the middle. Yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to the end um, because I think something of an unfolding is happening here. Um, But it's starting, I think, here at the beginning with a confrontation. What do you think you really know about the divine? And what if we stood on, what if we sat on the edge of our seat and allowed uh, ourselves to take in what is essentially mysterious? So I'll leave things there for now. Thanks for listening.
It is an honor and privilege to explore the infinite nature of God together. So we thank you for your generous giving to keep Mayflower's ministry thriving. The ushers will now come forward to receive the offering. Almighty God, please take our gifts, tithes, and offerings and use them for your glory. May we bring you glory, honor, and praise as we acknowledge every gift is from you. We give back to you what we can with praise, glory, and honor. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now is the time for our congregational prayer, and I wonder if we have any prayer requests or notes of praise you would like to share this morning. Yes, Marilyn. Okay. Marilyn's cousin Tina has stage 4 cancer, so we remember her in our prayers. Thank you for sharing, Marilyn. 
Anyone else have a prayer request or a note of praise they can share this morning? I see you, Richard family. Yes. Okay. Well, let's just join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we are seeking to connect with you in this infinite space that we don't always understand. One of the ways we do this is through prayer. Your scripture tells us when we don't know how to pray, your Holy Spirit intercedes with sighs and groans too deep for words. And sometimes that is all we have to offer, and we know that is enough, that your Spirit resides in us and can pray for us when we can't. Lord, we pray for Tina, who is facing an absolutely devastating diagnosis. We pray for Marilyn and Ken and their family as they lift her up. Surround her with your love, your healing, your grace, and your mercy. And Lord, we lift up the Britcher family to you, Eric and Dina and Cheryl and Bran and Curtis, as they are surrounding their wife and mother in her last breath. It's been a marathon. They're exhausted. And Lord, I pray you fill them with your supernatural energy. We thank you for Dorothy, for her life, and how committed she is to you. It is such a beautiful example of a life well lived. We know in the space of grief and relief, it's a very strange space. So we ask for your hand right now on Eric and his children as they're wading through these strange, strange times. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather here. We thank you for this church. We thank you that we have each other, that we have a prayer list, that we have all of these requests that are lifted up all the time by the members in our church. We thank you. And we now lay that list at your feet, all of the people who are struggling with grief and illness and questions about jobs and questions about their children and their grandchildren and their futures. And Lord, we pray for this church going through a pastoral search process, wondering what does the future hold for this place? We know great things are in store because you lead us and you go before us. Help us to be faithful. And we pray for our community. We thank you that we get to live in such a beautiful place, that there is peace in our city and peace in our state. But Lord, there are so many problems. We pray for the end of this pandemic that seems to just roll along, sweeping people to their knees and to their feet and to their graves. We pray for floods and fires, buildings collapsing. We pray for your hand of peace, your hand of mercy, your hand of healing. We pray for countries around the world like Haiti and Myanmar, floods in Germany, floods in China, unrest in so many places. We pray for South Africa. Lord, be Lord of all. We know you love the creation that you made. Help us to love it too. Help us to be prayer warriors. Continually, continually petition you. Because we know somehow, somehow the end of the story is you make all things new. And we get to participate every day in that endeavor. So help us, show us, order our steps. And Lord, we know when we don't know how to pray... Your spirit sighs and groans on our behalf. But we also know there's a prayer you taught us to pray. And so we now, in one unified voice, we pray it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Now for the benediction, it's hard to pass up this uh, old Irish blessing, especially after another Irish hymn. Um, my father is from Northern Ireland, and I was there, no, I've been there many times, but I was there a few years ago in July, and there was only one day that it didn't rain, so may the sun shine warm upon your face is no joke. Um, so I'll read it. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face, the rains fall soft upon your fields, and until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Peace be with you.